ones, I direct your attention this morning to our study that we will be looking at from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. You'll find that on page 731 if you're using a copy of the scriptures under the seat in front of you. We've been doing a short series that will actually end next week on Luke's salvation parables. We've been focusing on the need for us to examine ourselves day in and day out to be certain that those of us who say we love the Lord Jesus, we have much love for our Savior, indeed actually do, that we understand the forgiveness of sin, that we understand the call to obedience, that we love the Savior much every single day. And so today we look at this parable, Luke's salvation parable of the two debtors. And so we give our full attention now to the reading and the preaching of his word, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Hear now the word of God. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man really were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One of them owed 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, we bow before your holy, infallible, and inerrant word because it it is your word, completely trustworthy, full of all authority, our only rule for our faith and practice. So what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. No doubt many of you are well aware that Martin Luther used to really struggle with his own sin, struggle with the guilt of his sin, never really understanding that he was completely forgiven, absolutely forgiven in the finished work of Christ. One particular night, he had a dream. And in this dream, Satan stood before him with a scroll. 
And that scroll inside all wrapped up were all of the sins that he had ever committed in his life. To his horror, the, the, Satan unhurled this particular scroll and started naming his sins one by one. Got to the end of the scroll and Luther said, Is that all? No, the devil replied and took another scroll and hurled it open and began to read those sins. After the fourth scroll had been read, finally the devil paused and Luther simply looked at him and said, Quick, write on all of them. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all my sin. I wonder if that describes you, my friends. I wonder if you really have completely understood, meditated, given full attention to the fact that you are in desperate need of the forgiveness of sin and have received that if you have bowed the knee to Christ responding to this gospel. Throughout the entirety of the gospel, throughout the entirety of the Bible, we are introduced to a loving, compassionate, long-suffering, covenant-making, covenant-keeping, and forgiving God. A God who is ready, willing, and able to forgive you of all of your sins. Throughout all of scripture we read this from the very beginning to the very end. There are many in the world that don't know the fullness of that. This is the only religion among all religions that gives any attention to the forgiveness of sin. All other world religions give no attention to the forgiveness of sin and only give attention to what it is that you now need to do to earn favor with whatever deity it is that you bow before. Nothing but works righteousness Except in Christianity, where we are pursued by the deity, he comes to us. This is love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. And this deity, Yahweh himself, comes to us, Emmanuel, ready to forgive us completely, absolutely, of all of our sins. But I'm guessing that probably doesn't define you, because you're here today, right? You're here, and so many of us, like good Presbyterians, all dressed up and looking this wonderful part. We know our creed. We're about to recite our creed after the preaching of the word, that Apostles' Creed, that I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. We're good at reciting all of those things, but do we actually completely understand our absolute need for the forgiveness of sin. I think many times we think, oh yeah, the, the, these great big sins that, uh, that are in the world, that, that doesn't really describe me because if you look at them and you look at me, then you see really two different things. I, I don't sin near as bad as that person or as bad as that person. So my sins are, relatively speaking, nothing compared to the world's sins. And therefore, our response of affection, our response of love to the Savior is actually little love instead of much love because we haven't completely understood the need for the full forgiveness of sin. The love that we have in response to the Savior, as this parable completely tells us, the love that we have in response to our Savior who died for us is relative to our Forgiveness, the need for the forgiveness, the absolute certainty that I need to be forgiven of all of my sins, large and small, because that's the very reason that he came, to die for our sin. The iniquity of those to the third and the fourth generation, of those who hate me. 
but to thousands of those who love me. Jesus is ready, willing, from the very beginning to, to extend forgiveness, absolute forgiveness for you. To cast that, listen friends, to cast your sin, as the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west. Now think about that, think about that. If you are on the equator and you start heading north and you get to the North Pole, then suddenly you change directions, but you're still going in the same direction. Now you're going south all the way to the South Pole. And then at the South Pole, you're going to go north again. So you go north and south and north and south. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. So I'm on the equator and I start east. And I'm always going east. Or if I start west, I'm always going west. The two never come together again like north and south do. He never brings it back together. He casts your sin as far as the east is from the west. Complete, absolute forgiveness. That's what this parable is all about. Luke's salvation parable. In two debtors, a woman, a sinful woman, and a righteous man, or a, a religious man, a religious man who thinks that his sins have been forgiven, but he doesn't really have that much to, to really need forgiveness for, compared to this woman, is if he really knew what kind of a woman she was, he would know she's a sinner and I'm not. So we have this parable with two individuals, much like all the parables, where Jesus is really laying right before all of you, seated here this morning, which one are you? Are you this one or are you that one? Do you love me much because you have been forgiven much? Or do you love me little because you think there's not that much to forgive? We've been looking at different parables and we've, always, we've started with context because context is key for us to put everything into perspective. Jesus has now been, verse 36, invited to a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee whose name is Simon. We've been reading that. The last parable that we looked at a couple of weeks ago with the banquet was the same thing. Invited to a, a Pharisee's house. And that was the culture of that particular day. Really, these two individuals now that Jesus is about to confront really comes down to this. One of them says, I come to you. And the other one says, Jesus, you need to come to me. I am willing to come to you because you are the Lord of my life, the one who has saved me from my sin, the one who fills me with this goodness and mercy. And so I am coming to you. Or the other one who says, I really don't have that much to, for you to clean up here. So you come to me and do this little work and bada bing, bada boom, you'll be in, you'll be out, we'll be done. So the culture of that particular day is when an individual, a, 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 a well-known individual, was coming to a, a place for dinner, a house for dinner, then other people in the town would come and they would surround the house and look in. We read this same thing with the lost son. We read it with the banquet feast. We read it with the, in the wedding at Cana in Galilee. So no doubt this particular woman heard that Jesus was in town and she was coming to this particular Pharisee's house and she wanted to meet him. She wanted to see him, so she comes to him. And they're all reclined at the table. If you were invited to the feast, you weren't standing outside looking in, but you were reclining at the table, which would have had very short legs. The upper part of your body would have been at the table and your feet would have been away from the table. And this woman not only has the audacity to come in the house, now she wasn't invited. She came inside the house. That blows our mind to start with. But in this particular culture, she not only came into the house, but she let her hair down, which would have never been allowed in the presence of men that are not your husband. 
She lets her hair down in the presence of Jesus, begins to weep and to wipe his feet with her tears uh, and her hair. She had, friends, listen, she had nothing to lose. She had absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain. And she knew that only having heard of him, so she comes to him. She comes to him inside the house because she realizes her utter need for the forgiveness of her sin. And not only her need, but she wants to receive it, and in fact, she does receive the full forgiveness of sin. Luke, you remember Luke, right? The guy that wrote uh, the, the book of Acts and also at the beginning of this particular gospel account says, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, because I want to give you an orderly account, the summary, the one word, actually, two word summary of the book of Luke is orderly account. He gives us more detail than any of the other gospel writers. And he gives us detail right here as well. Not only this woman who comes in not being invited, who lets her hair down, which she would have never done, weeping and wiping Jesus' feet, but then she begins to anoint them with this alabaster jar of perfume. Luke is telling us exactly who this woman is. She is a working woman, if I might put it that way. And this valuable perfume would have been owned by two types of people. Someone who was very, very wealthy and was saving this alabaster perfume for their own embalmment of their death. When they died, someone to take care of putting it on their body when they placed them in the tomb. Or the second type of person that would have it would have been this type of a woman who wore it in a small vase around her neck to clean up in between working jobs. That's the woman that we're seeing here. Luke gives us this full account, this beautiful picture. Friends, what is Jesus then turning around and saying? This is how filthy we are. This is the depth of our sin. And look at her response. I need complete and absolute forgiveness. And so I come to this one who I'm hearing all these things about. I come to this one offering myself to him. and every, I, have, I have nothing to lose and even this very expensive jar of perfume I give away freely with the hope that my sins will be forgiven. But then look how it's compared to Simon. Now Jesus turns to Simon and Simon basically is saying the context here, Jesus, you come to me. I'm going I'm to have dinner in my house and so I'm going to extend an invitation. You come where I am. You come to me. You come to my table. You come to my house. And so he's uh, inviting Jesus. Instead of going to him, coming to him like the woman, he wants Jesus to come to him. The guy's name is Simon. Jesus calls him by name so we know who it is. He kind of reminds me of Nicodemus in that he's not like the other Pharisees that we just love to hate. You know, you read and they're trying to trick Jesus and they're asking this question where they can fool him and think that they can fool him and stuff like that. No, he seems to be a, a religious man, but he is not a saved man. He has not yet come to the full understanding of the depth of his sin, nor the forgiveness that Jesus Christ was offering him. We like the guy 
But he is a religious man, not a... He could have recited the Apostles' Creed word for word if it had been written at that particular day. But he didn't know the Savior. He wanted the message, but he didn't want the messenger. He wanted the story. He wanted the academic challenge of entering into dialogue with him the challenge of sparring back and forth perhaps, or the challenge of being seen by Jesus as a pretty smart guy, but he didn't want Jesus. He didn't want the messenger. He simply wanted the message. And this guy is full of misunderstanding. Every character in the, in the parable, this guy is misunderstood. He misunderstood the woman because he only looked on the outside. If you were really a prophet and you knew what kind of a woman this was that was touching your feet that let her hair down, you would not be letting her do that. He misunderstood her because all he could see is the outside. He couldn't see her heart when even looking at why she was there and what it was that she was doing. He focused solely on the outside. He misunderstood Jesus because he said, if you really were a prophet... You wouldn't do this. You can't be a prophet. You can't be what everybody else is saying. You can't be one who forgives sin. You can't be the son of God because you are allowing this woman and this woman is a sinner. She is an absolute sinner. He calls her by name. He says that. That's, that's the connection that he puts to her at the end of verse 39. This woman is a sinner. He understood himself, misunderstood himself. Because he failed to see his own need for forgiveness of sin. He failed to see that he was just like the woman. He had elevated himself, thought more highly of himself than he had of her. I'm not like her. I don't need the level of forgiveness that she needs. Of course she needs it. Look at her. But that's not me. And so he misunderstood his own need for the forgiveness of sin because he misunderstood himself. And it led to ingratitude. It led to less love, as Jesus goes on to say at the end of verse 46, 47. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. He who doesn't think that he has that much to be forgiven of, doesn't respond with much love for the Savior himself. I wonder if that describes you, my friend. I wonder which one you are. Do you understand your absolute, utter need for the forgiveness of sin? Do you understand that there is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved except the name of Jesus? Do you understand that you are dead in your sin and in your transgression? But God, who is rich in mercy, promises to make you alive in extending this forgiveness of sin and bringing you into glory. Do you understand your need for that? Or does this describe you? You think, well, you know what? I, I do understand my sin. I understand my sin so much that I don't ever think that it's even possible for me to get forgiveness. You don't know my heart. You don't know my my sins, I, I'm really good at covering them up. I'm so good at covering them up. There is absolutely no way 
that Jesus could ever forgive me of sin. And you are plagued. Friends, are you plagued with guilt? Are you living this life under the weight of the guilt of your sin because you believe that your Savior, you can't see Him, you can't touch Him, you can't talk to Him where He talks back to you audibly. And so you are filled with guilt because you don't think it's possible for your sins to be forgiven. If that describes you, friends, listen to this wonderful quote from A.A. Hodge. He said it like this, Guilt can only be removed by punishment. Either the sinner himself must bear it, or a substitute must be provided. And friends, there's the good news. The substitute has been provided. He who knew no sin became sin. God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. He died for you, beloved. He died for the full extent of your sin, large and small. Those that you're so good at covering up that you think nobody else knows about, He knows all about. And those great big ones that you're trying to avoid, He knows all about those too. And He died for every single one of them nailing him in his flesh on the cross of Calvary to forgive you absolutely of all your sin. Wow! Is that a gospel? That's a Savior, beloved. That is the only religion in the world where the deity comes in that hot pursuit of us. Like a black trans am, like Smokey and the Bandit. I'm in hot pursuit of you. You in your black sin, not your trans am. But the fullness of your, the depth of your sin. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. When you fully understand your need for it. And you embrace the Savior who died for it. So now Jesus moves to the parable. He gives us these two people saying, which one are you? And, and now he seals it in, okay, let me just tell you this parable. Here's the parable. And he, he turns to Simon. Simon, Simon, which one are you? You're, you're simply this academic individual who, who loves the message, but you don't love the messenger. Uh, Simon, you, you, you can recite the creed. Simon, you're a, you're a Pharisee. You, you know the law of God, but you have not... You don't know the one who became the fullness of your sin. Does this describe you, friends? Can you recite the Apostles' Creed and use even the old English, the quick and the dead? Yeah, you recite it. We recite it together. We're about to in a moment. Religion will not save you. It's about a relationship, a relationship with Jesus, the very one who died for our sin. That's who will save you. Not your knowledge, not even if you're reformed, not an Arminian, but a reformed person. That won't save you. What will save you? Who will save you? Jesus the Christ. The, he died for you to set you free. Or are you the woman? Now listen, at the end of this parable, look at verse 44. Jesus turned, turned to Simon and then he pointed to the woman. You've got to get this into your mind in the context of, this, of the culture and all of this, the setting. She heard every word that he said to Simon. She is in earshot of hearing every... He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you see what she's been doing? She has received absolute forgiveness. She had nothing to lose. 
She came to me in the fullness of her sin, the extent of her sin. And now he says, do you see this woman? And then he turns to the woman and says to her, your sins have been forgiven. He loved, he loved much, and she loved much in, respond, she, in response. She understood the fullness of what it was that he had done. Jesus did not come for her, doesn't come for you or me either, to say, okay, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive a little bit of your sin, and then we'll just see how you do tomorrow, okay? Boy, thank goodness that that's not the Savior. If that were the life that we were living today, that would be your best life now, because <laughs> there wouldn't be any good life to come. <laughs> no, take that out. <laughs> your best life is not now, friends. Your best life is the life to come in glory. But you have the fullness of the forgiveness of sin today. Absolute. He doesn't come to you and say, okay, I'm going to forgive you this much. And then if you mess it up tomorrow and you do it again, then I'm going to back it down a notch and I'm going to back it down a notch. He is absolute. The fullness of the extent of his forgiveness. She needed it. And then she received it. Your sins are forgiven. But notice what he says then in verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's past tense in Greek. Your faith has. It's done. Not your faith might save you. Or your faith someday will save you. If you grow, if you have a little bit more faith and you get a little bit more forgiveness. No, 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 no. That's no gospel at all. Your faith has saved you. And then literally translated, it, it reads, go into peace. Your whole life is going to change now. Go into the world, go, in, go into the rest of your life throughout all of eternity now in this peace of being reconciled to your Heavenly Father, reconciled to your Savior, reconciled with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Go into peace. Live the rest of your life in the fullness of knowing this. Your sins are forgiven. I wonder if that describes you. Which one are you, friends? Jesus is putting the two before us. From the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, willing, ready, and able to forgive you of all of your sin, large and small. Which one are you? Are you coming to Him? Or are you expecting Him to come to you? One of the greatest scholars in the uh, Renaissance period was Erasmus. And while he was at Cambridge, uh, he, this, he had a profound impression on one particular man named Thomas Bilney. Thomas Bilney was mesmerized by Erasmus and often said that whatever it was that Erasmus wrote, he wanted to get a copy of that and, and to read because he was so moved by this particular individual. Erasmus wrote the Latin version of the New Testament. Bilney got a copy of that. Listen to this quote from Bilney as he's saying how, the, how he summarized the effect of getting this Latin New Testament gospel account and reading it. My soul was sick and I longed for peace, but nowhere could I find it. I went to the priests and they appointed me my penances and pilgrimages. Yet by these things my soul was not set free. 
But at last I heard of Jesus. It was then, when first the New Testament was set forth by Erasmus, that the light came. I bought the book, being drawn by the Latin rather than by the Word of God, for at that time I knew not what the Word of God meant. On my first reading, I chanced upon these words, quote, This is a faithful saying and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief, end quote. This one sentence through God's inward working did so light up my poor bruised spirit that the very bones within me leaped for joy and gladness. It was as if, after a long dark night, day suddenly broke. Is that you? Is that your relationship with your Savior? My sins, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sins, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. If you forget the need for the forgiveness of your sin, my friends, you're forgetting the life that he gave for you. If you think that you have little to be forgiven, then you are loving little. But if you understand the fullness of your sin, then you understand the fullness of the absolute forgiveness of that sin. And in response, you will love much, worshiping him, enjoying him, living according to the law that he's given to us every day, loving him more, in response to more and more of that grace and mercy and forgiveness he gives to you. That is your Savior. Do you know him? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a glorious gospel that you give to us. What a glorious Savior you have given to us that our sins, not in part, but the whole, certainly were nailed to the cross in his finished work. He loved us much and now calls for our response to come to him, to give it all, to give everything that we have to the Savior who has given everything to us. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to remind all of us here the extent of this finished work the extent of what it is that Jesus has done for us. And then, Father, in response, that our love would be much, our love would be great, that he would be completely sufficient, satisfy all of our desires, and we would find the fullness of life in him as we go into peace. Do that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.